I'm Carla with Race to Walk, and these are just some thoughts on a Sunday. And what I do in these weekly updates is to share a few thoughts, and I also give an update on where we're at in helping some Afghan Christians in their immigration journey. And so normally on my channel, what I have done is I have uh, do um, Bible study videos and also uh, talk about books. But uh, when I got involved with this, um, I started helping my friend Mark Ritchie with his with his Bible studies he was doing via Zoom in Pakistan. He's been doing those um, those Bible studies since 2020, and I started helping him in 2021 um, with Pakistani's women's Bible study. He spoke at a few conferences and just kind of joined in on Mark's Bible studies whenever he happened to send me a link and I was available. And um, then last year in October 2022, uh, things took a little bit of a, a different turn. Um, I covered for some of his um, Afghan Bible studies and uh, they were some concerns about uh, being deported from Pakistan back to Afghanistan came up. And so one thing led to another. So when that happened, um, it had already been a little challenging getting uh, the same level of videos out that I did with um, when I started doing the Bible studies also in Pakistan because the, you know, my Bible studies with them would be like a different topic in a different format than the ones I was doing on my YouTube channel. Um, and then when the whole immigration thing added in, then it was really like I just, uh, time I was already busy before and so adding this on top of that um, was a whole lot of time I realized how crazy it was when I was looking at like World Relief has an office in Dallas and they help 80 families in or 80 people uh, relocate in uh, in a year I have more than that <laughs> I'm like one person so anyway so it gets a little crazy so that's what I normally do but the connection between all of those things is that you know, the Bible isn't just a bunch of words. Um, it's not just even supposed to be thoughts. It's supposed to be, uh, it's supposed to have an impact, right? We're supposed to be the good news. We're supposed to be the uh, product demonstration of the Holy Spirit working in within us. And um, so that should bear fruit. Uh, this, it was James, let's see, 226 actually wrote this down today. This is just as the... Which one is it? As a body without spirit is dead, so faith is also dead without works. So what we do is supposed to be evidence of the Holy Spirit working within us. And so um, also in James, uh, this is in James one twenty seven. So pure and genuine religion in the sight of God is, uh, and the Father means caring for the or orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So we are supposed to be caring for those in need if we're really um, seeking after God and following his heart, right? So we should be, what we do should um, reflect what we think. And so that's kind of the connection between my Bible studies, you know, what the word says, books, how we integrate these other ideas that are out there in with what the Bible says and what it is that we're doing. Um, Mark brought in, in this effort that we're doing now, Mark brought in his friend Don Shire, who has a ministry at uh, Don Shire Ministries, 
org and Mark, uh, Don will, since he already has a nonprofit that has been doing ministry all over the world, um, he has a channel set up for sending money into other countries. And so he any donations made at donshireministries.org, when you select Race to Walk, that will go to help our people if you'd like to help them. So anyway, the topic of today's stream so missed opportunities and i had kind of that had kind of been on my mind like oh yeah i think this is and i do pray about it. like well what should i what should i mean the the stream and try to think about like how does what has been going on tie into this the topic of the stream and i was pretty sure yesterday this is what i was i mean i knew that this is what i was going to do yesterday but then this morning we get into bible study and we're talking about we're in the book of mark and I was like, yes, this is exactly it. So um, one of the things that was kind of interesting, I did a, a live stream, or not a live stream, I did a video review of the Sound of Freedom movie. There's actually connections to uh, what we're doing here in uh, with the Afghans in Pakistan to that movie. And someone uh, made a comment on there, because I give some personal like accounts of some connections with all of this, like to tie it all together. And the, really the topic of that stream is what is truth because the sound of freedom absolutely is not truth. And so that was the topic of this, of that review. But somebody said, well, you're just being self-aggrandizing because I'm giving like personal accounts of things I personally know. Like that's called the te firsthand testimony, right? Firsthand witness. And I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, well, as I was telling, the accounts I gave in that story, I'm like, yeah, I have actually been involved in some pretty amazing stuff. I mean, and I didn't go seeking it out, honestly. Uh, the the uh, editor-in-chief of an unexpected journal, we were having a discussion about this, so things that we get involved in. And she said, you know, I'm very intentional about things I get involved in, and she's an extrovert. So she goes seeks things out. I don't. Like, things come find me because I'm an introvert, and I would much rather just sit and read and write rather than like go and like interface with people. So um, every single thing that I've gotten involved in other than getting, uh, joining the apologetics program at Houston Christian University, that's the only thing that I personally sought out. Everything else found me. It was a friend asked me for help and I helped them. And so when I was thinking about that comment, you know, I can see, and I mean, it's just the tone of it was just all, and I'm thinking, you know what? It's not my fault that your life is boring and you have done nothing of value with your life. That's not my problem. I'm not going to apologize for the, the things I've done that have been some, this is just subjectively true. I've been involved in some pretty awesome things. And so, uh, and again, it's not about me. It's just somebody asked me for help and I said, yes. So the question is, did you miss the opportunity to be involved in something that was awesome? Because I don't believe that uh, I'm unique in having these opportunities that open up or come across my path. I think probably everybody does, but not everybody will step up and put their time into helping someone else. And um, we make that choice. And so your choice of spending your time just on your own personal stuff has led to a different place in your life than other people who are out there being willing to do something that's not only concerned about them. 
So opportunities come up all the time. We have a choice about what it is that we do with those opportunities. We can say yes or we can say no. And the interesting thing about um, the lesson with Mark, because what I've been thinking about is like the, the difference between Saul and David as the kings of, of Israel and Judah. So Saul was king of Israel, right? There was nothing that he did on his own that got him in that position. He was anointed by God. He was chosen by God. But he never really felt like he was worthy of it, right? He had some insecurity problems. And the reality is that he, he wasn't. I mean, there was nothing. God said something in him, and he could have been. He could have been a good king. Otherwise, God wouldn't have chosen him to begin with. But he was afraid of other people's opinions. He never got past that insecurity. Um, he lost the kingship because he didn't obey God, and he was—he took the position that he, that he didn't wait for for Samuel to um, come and make the offering. He he went into he went out of God's will, right? And so Saul told him that the kingdom would be taken from him, and so he went and anointed David because Saul was concerned about uh, the position, his position. He was, he was responding to peer pressure. Whereas David, he was anointed by God, right? Told he was going to be king when he was young, so probably in his teens. But he didn't step into that position until years later. And he had to go through a training and a seizing period before he actually took the throne. So Saul was just kind of launched into it got it like right right away there was no um trial period for him there was nothing that he had to go through ahead of time whereas david did and you, you see that even with his uh, when he fought goliath because he said you know god was with me when i killed the lion and the bear when he was just a kid right and so he knew that god would be with him when he killed goliath and so he put his trust in god and he knew that he had to like whatever he did he had to put his trust in God. I'm not saying that David didn't mess up because he did. He did mess up quite a few times in a lot of things. David's family was really a mess. But then he he went through years and years in exile on the run from Saul. And so he, he had to, when you read the the Psalms, I think most of them were read and it or were written during a time when he was in probably great distress and worried and thinking he's not you know, he's not gonna be able to get through this. Um, and he's reminding himself of the goodness of God, that God, not only is it a reminder to him, but it's a proclamation of God's goodness, that God is faithful and he will see him through it, regardless of what it looks like to see him, of what it would come like. But, you know, he, um, he believed God would do what he said. The other person, Gideon, you know, he was, um, he was, Israel was being oppressed by the Philistines and an angel appeared to Gideon while he was, he was grinding grain in this wine press. So he's there hiding out in this wine press and the angel says to him, hail mighty warrior. That was not what Gideon was at the time, but it was what God knew he could be, right? So he said, You're, this is not who you are. You know, you can be something beyond this. And 
Gideon did test God a few times. He did um, lead the Israelites to victory. And actually, when I did the um, the conference in the Bible set in Pakistan, uh, it was a pastor's conference. It was 500 pastors, and my topic was on the mighty few, uh, Gideon's army, and uh, the Battle of San Jacinto. Because if you ever read the story about the Battle of San Jacinto in Texas, it like, sounds just like really similar to to uh, Gideon's battle too but um, Gideon had this victory and he um, he became this national hero and the thing is Gideon thought he was nothing right God said no you can be more than this you you can be a warrior and he believed him for that and he was, but he didn't continue to trust in God. He got full of himself because he basically um, put himself in the role of sort of kind of his priestess king. And if you read, read the story about what came after that big battle, you'll see that Gideon had some um, another family mess and led to national strife. But going on to Mark was really interesting was um let's see if all these came up i don't have a lot of slides today mark so the gospel of mark was written by john mark he was not an apostle but he was a friend of peter's and the gospel of mark is peter's account of jesus's life and there's debate there's debate about everything related to the Bible, but there's a lot of debate about the dating of Mark. And so, you know, there's a couple of videos on Michael Kona's channel. Um, there's a guy that uh, actually graduated from the same apologetics program that I did, that he did his thesis on the dating of Mark. It's basically looking at all, uh, pretty much the consensus of scholars. So any scholar that had, I can't remember what his criteria was, but the majority of scholarship um, believes that Mark was written before 70 AD and uh, he just kind of gives like the numbers and you know what it is that on the dating that people believe about the Gospel of Mark. I took a class from Nubil Qureshi. Um, he is the author of, he's worked for Ravi Zacharias Ministries um, and he wrote uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, also No God But One. He was a former Muslim. His his autobiography or spiritual memoir is uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. But I took a class from him uh, about six months before he passed. This was in 2017. He was had come to Houston because he had stomach cancer, and that's what he ended up uh, passing away from. And he... Uh, he was in the middle of doing his dissertation on the Gospel of Mark. So the class I took from him was on Islam and Christianity, doing a comparison between the two. And that was a one-time opportunity that to be able to do that. And um, I had a lot of opportunities like that while I was in the apologetics program. It's just time and um, things that were only one-time opportunities that you know somebody going through the program now wouldn't have the opportunity to do. But he said that he believed that the Gospel of Mark was written um, at 38 AD. He gave some reasons for that. Uh, and when you 
if you ever read a, like um, a parallel of the Gospels where you see all the similar passages that are side by side and keep this in your head, I think you can see it. It makes a lot of sense um, because sometimes you'll see, if you think about timing, if it was early, um, then certain people would have been alive and certain people would have been in power. And so it's kind of like, you know, they were under, the Christians were under persecution and, um, you know, you have to be careful about things that you say, like the gospel of Mark is the one that puts puts Herod the, uh, in the greatest or the best light, you know, when you, during the whole discussion about the, um, the martyrdom of, of John the Baptist, they actually, it's like, they'll say, oh yeah, he didn't really want to do this. And it was really, you know, anyway, making excuses for Herod, um, or the other gospels don't. So Matthew and Luke kind of start with the gospel of Mark and then they kind of build their own story off of that. But what was interesting about the discussion today is that depending on where you think, when you think it was written, so when it was written isn't dependent on what we think, but you know, that when it was written kind of tells a story. It tells different stories because Mark was a, um, let me see if I can, if I have it. Paul was, that was the wrong one. Paul uh, took Mark on his first missionary journey. And this is around 46 to 48 AD, that first missionary journey. And so those things, there's a debate over. So the writer of the Gospel of Mark went with Paul on a missionary journey. Okay, so after this, Paul bail or Mark bails on them while they're on their their trip. And so then later on, Barnabas, who's also a companion of Paul, I don't have it up there. I did this wrong. Um, Barnabas is wants to take them on the second round, and Paul's like, no. We're not going to take him. He he flaked out the last time. We're not going to take him again. And so that caused a rift. It was a split. And it's actually uh, referred to as the incident at Antioch. Huge drama in the church. This is recorded in Acts 15. So the question is, does this come before or after? This, uh, Mark wrote the gospel. And if it's after then you have mark was taken on this missionary journey they were giving him experience on planting churches he bails but then you can see it as redemption after you know god gave him he missed out on the second trip but god gave him an opportunity for redemption later on and so that's that's if it's and he wrote the gospel at some point right so that's if the gospel is dated late late but I think if Nabil Kreshi is right, that tells a to totally different story because Mark would have written it early, right? So 38 AD, and then he writes his gospel. And what um, Nabil Kreshi thought his position was that, is that there's a short ending and long ending of Mark. He thinks the gospel of Mark was written as a... Um, evangelistic tool that people would take this they would go and they would 
tell the story of Jesus' life. And then at the point where the short ending is, because it ends at the empty tomb, um, somebody that was the uh, a witness, you know, said they were, I mean, there were many people who saw the resurrected Jesus, 500 people at one point, uh, at one particular time. And he said he thought that, that there would be a witness to the physical, to even resurrected Jesus would come in and tell their story, give their own story at that point. And that the long ending was written later as when it was mainly, you know, the witnesses started dying off. And they just started telling the story just generally. That was his, his thought about what uh, the origin of Mark was, the purpose, and why the, his explanation, a likely explanation of the short and long endings. So if you have that, and you have this this gospel that's really the first, probably, because you know Luke says there were many accounts of Jesus' life, but Mark was probably the first. Um, I'm not. I can't think of what to compare it to, but the first significant account given weight, right? Not weight, but not that they wouldn't have considered the other ones, but like bestseller status, basically. And so Mark would have been kind of like the golden child, and he was young, right, in Christian circles because he wrote this gospel, Peter's gospel, and or Peter's account. So if it was written around 38 AD, and then a few years later, he's taken on this missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. This is like really big status, and then he bails. He bails and Paul doesn't trust him anymore. And it says in this this account, it's like they said that he oops, he actually did go back and you know he founded some churches. So it wasn't like that was the end for him. But it's another thing where I think a situation like with Paul, there was no seasoning ahead of time. He was catapulted into the celebrity status in the Christian church, and um, he didn't stand up, right? So you have to continue to stand firm. That's the thing. You have to conti continue to to walk in the faith. Not get so full of yourself that you think that you're beyond being able to fall. So um, a few months ago, I was talking about... Uh, did a whole series on manipulation. This is back in May. There's, I think, like four videos that are uh, live streams that are related to that. Like how do I, how do I identify manipulation? How to identify manipulators? Uh, can't remember what the other ones were, but I was talking about different um, identifying manipulation in different areas. Like I was talking about in international relations. Talking about Zalman Kalazad, who was completely, completely below smoke and uh, tries to make it seem like the Taliban are, are allies and the good guys. He did this again this week. Again this week, still more smoke blowing. He's literally, the guy is just delusional. He just, oh my gosh. Zalmay Kalzad, anytime you hear his name or see an article written by him, know that is a bunch of baloney. He's basically on the side of the Taliban. Taliban are terrorists sold us out anyway this again so anyway i have been talking about that i've ta been talking also been talking about a personal situation that there's a lot of manipulation and then i was also sharing gave some very specific examples of manipulation and propaganda that was going on locally in our local school board election 
So this week, this has been a crazy week in Texas. And uh, we had our, uh, <laughs> we had our much indicted attorney general, Ken Paxton. And when I say much indicted, he's been under indictment for like security fraud or something for like eight years. I don't even know. I don't even know where that's at. He's been investigated by the you know, federal government and they, the latest thing was he got impeached by the Texas House because he wanted the state to pay off his settlement for, I don't even know which one. I mean, it's hard to keep track of all his, his indictments. I don't even know. But he wanted, he had to pay something off. And so um, there was a judgment against him and he wanted taxpayers to pay for it. So he's an attorney general. Uh, cheating and stealing is not part of your job description as a state attorney general. Anyway, so that this was all going on, and the it, he goes to um, a, he's in a trial in the, the the Senate, the Texas Senate, to see if they remove him. Dan Patrick, our lieutenant governor, is over the trial, and I mentioned a few months ago that. Maybe it hasn't been that long, but somebody donated $3 million to um, Patrick's campaign. Never had that large of a donation before, but it was a Paxton supporting PAC. So basically, you consider that a bribe. So what I would call a bribe to Patrick or to structure the trial to favor Paxton. So they had a vote yesterday, and it's so clear. Like, there was no question about um, the Paxson's a crook. He was turned in by his own staff members because he was getting all these. Uh, he has a, a backer that he basically manipulated things for to benefit. And then into all of this mess is a mistress. And, oh, by the way, Ken Paxton's wife is a Texas senator. So, anyway, it's a whole big mess. I mean, you couldn't even write a story about this because it's just unbelievably, ridiculously corrupt. No one would believe it, but this is Texas. So, anyway, they voted yesterday, and basically it, it went down party lines, you know, and the Texas is controlled by the Repu Republican Party. They're pretty much all sold out, and they they didn't remove him. There's no question that he's guilty. There's no question about it. But because they're friends, they are, you know, we were actually talking about this in Bible study. Because of all of this tribalism, they acquitted him because, and he's still there. So they... One of the things that they were saying that in one of the articles, not this one, I'm going to have a, a couple of articles about this up on the article on my website for this live stream. But the speculation was, was that the Texas senators, even though they knew Paxton was guilty, they were afraid that the money backing Paxton would come against them and that they would ha have a hard time getting reelected. It's like, so what? So what if you have a hard time really being like, you know, if you, when you sell yourself, when you sell your soul, you don't get to just take it out, you know, take it back when 
whenever you want. I mean, you basically lost your integrity. You, you are um, backing corruption and evil. And so you're not, you'd rather, rather make sure you, you get elected and stay compromised and corrupt rather than having any, any integrity. Liz ties into our uh, school board because there actually is a connection. There was a lot of drama with the school board this year, this week too. So if you go back and watch that. I was explaining the, um, there were three positions up. There was this one guy who had a lot of community support that the, the little locust of evil, in my opinion, on the school board had it out for. And the, the, uh, this, uh, dirty person. I'm not saying any of them are clean, but anyway, the main guy that I think is just really disgustingly corrupt. He um, had outside money, an outside money pack coming in and trying to un get all three of the seats with his people, but specifically he was going against this guy, Robert Scarfo. People have no sense. Like, they, they uh, more money than sense. FTC violations um, don't they really had all this money they really didn't know what they were doing and they were going up against a local guy who really isn't any better ethically but he does have good connections with local groups so the guy on the school board is trying to manipulate everything he could only get one person um, elected to the, that seat and that was an incumbent and he barely even got that person done. So all that money coming in, just basically it was a waste. It, it was just because they don't know what they're doing. What I've heard since then is that, so Scarfo's still on the board, that it's that election and the outcome of it has completely changed the dynamics, not only on the board, but also in the district because now they see is most of the people that are on the board now they're either, either put there on um as part of a slate that this this guy uh kind of coordinated or they were appointed and so al almost all of them other than scarfo owe their their seat on the board to him and so they would just do what he said and it was you know there have been multiple things over the past year where that's really obvious that they're they're really not seven independent votes on the board there's basically this guy this one guy and then scarpo would vote how he wanted everybody else was under this other guy's thumb but that's not true anymore because it's obvious that this other guy does not have the control that he has thought he had so people are questioning more, on the board are questioning more things they're having their opinion um not necessarily what they're being told to say. And also it's made a change in the district itself. Uh, there was a guy that was telling me that um, he worked for the district and he had been getting a lot of harassment because people know that he's not for this, the guy that's the, uh, the really dirty guy on the board. So because of that, there would be a lot of retaliation and pressure against him, you know, if he didn't go in in line with who this person is. And so now they know he does not have the weight that he thought he did. And why, and what caused all this? It was because 
Scarfo just didn't go along with along with their ridiculously uh, corrupt just the things that they were trying to pull. The irony of this is, it, Scarfo really is not. Uh, uh, he's not. He doesn't cause waves. He, he doesn't. It's not. He's not like a stand your ground kind of guy in general. I mean. He's just not, doesn't go along with the corruption, the out and out corruption. If there was a way he could get around it, he probably would have. But the things that they were wanting to do were just completely corrupt. He's like, no, this isn't right. We need to do this in a way. And so that was why they wanted to get rid of him. And they couldn't. And so all Scarfo did was just not go along with the corruption. Wasn't anything hard. It just, he just didn't go along with it. And he just, he just did what he'd always done. He's, he has had strong connections in the community for years. It's FYI for anybody that wants to do something like that. Um, take a note on that because he's had a mailing list. This is a thing that just kills me about people that start running for a school board. They show up two months before and then, you know, they don't have, they haven't established any connections. They have no platform, like not platform as in I'm going to do this, this, and this, but just have any sort of reach at all. And then they they complain because they don't they don't win and they don't have money. You know, you either have to spend a crap ton of money um, getting sending things out, or you have to like build relationships. And so Scarfo didn't spend a crap ton of money. He just built relationships and he had an email list. I used to be on it, so that's what you need to do. But it's just now Scarfo he's kind of like it's just completely changed the dynamics have completely changed and so the people on the texas senate have missed an opportunity just to stand up for what's right they had an opportunity and all they had to do was just you know vote for you know vote for what was right and they could have been known as Hey, you know what? I am, you know, th it would have been such an easy way to just say, "Hey, you know what? I, I am in this party, and I, I just believe in what's right." And they could have been able to go back to that, and now they're all they're seen as is a corrupt and sold out tool. And this is another thing we read. This is an, an, another class is from the Master Life class that we did today, but this is from Job 23, 10 through 12. And he said, so in, in this, he says, I know the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. So a test is a trial. And so if you want to be prepared for something beyond what it is you're doing, like David was prepared through this time, these times of testing, you have to be willing to come through it. If you're going to cave at the at the slightest opposition, or when you make somebody mad, you're just you're just a bunch of garbage that is good for nothing other than to be sold out. You know you have to be willing to to stick to it and do what's right and to come through it. So this is my feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. And I've read that before. You know, I've read, I even did a Bible study series on the whole book of Job. But it wasn't until we were reading it this morning that I realized that's what the, that Texas trial, that's what this that verse is talking about, is that they 
Job is saying, regardless of the threats about my security, my financial security, um, what's my daily bread, like what's going to allow me to have provisions for myself, regardless of what happens, I value God's word more than that. And those Texas senators that were voting for corruption, it switched for them. It's ap They value their daily bread and the short-term, I don't even know what gain that it would be, but they valuing this short-term making people, they don't want to stand up against people. They don't want to be have somebody coming against them, you know, in in a, in their next election. And so they value that more than they value God's word. And most of them claim to be Christians. But how do we know someone is a Christian? It's by their fruit. And that that's just it's completely rotten. You know, if you are defending somebody lying, cheating, and stealing, literally, and you're saying that it's okay, you're not serving God. You're serving evil. And this is this is the same sort of thing that's happening in our local school board. There's a guy that uh, it's just, it's a huge mess. More of the same sort of thing we're seeing on statewide level, lying, cheating, and stealing. <laughs> all of it, all of it is coming up about, it's starting to come out about a, um, a particular person. And the discussion blew up. This is the stupidest thing. They, they, it's like they never, the school board never learns. Someone goes up and is going to talk, wants to talk about it, saying that it's not right, that this uh, this district is paying. Same thing, same sort of thing. The issue with Paxton was that that was just too much for the Texas House, was that they he wanted the, the state to pay $3.3 million for the judgment against him. So in the local situation, there's someone that's been put on paid administrative paid leave that's been accused of sexual harassment and the district is according to what people have said is paying for his attorney so they're paying for his defense for the for the offense that they're investigating him for so someone was uh, going to be complaining about that and they, they get up to talk and they turn, turn on their mic. It's like, okay, you're dumb. You guys, they never respond anyway. So they should just let them talk and ignore them like they do everybody else. But then they, they shut shut them down and then people get mad and it's just like all the dirt's coming out. Like they're posting like all over these Facebook groups. It's just all of it, all kinds of, not even just about, you know, the district paying for, his attorney, but also, you know, claiming that he's been um, embezzling money for years and complaining about the person he's having an affair with and all of this, all the dirt comes, comes out. But just like the defense for Ken Paxton and his corruption, you see a ton of people, they're like excusing it. Well, what difference does it make? Um, you know, it's, he's a great guy. You know, they're ex people excuse it if they're friends with them. So this is what's right and wrong isn't dependent on who a person knows or who they're friends with. Right and wrong is dependent on justice and righteousness. 
the nature of God, like that's, he's a determinant of justice and righteousness. And that is what the word mishpat, if you look that up, it actually is translated as justice or judgment, depending on the context of it. And so our choices determine where we fall on that. It's not our own convenience that determine what's right and wrong. And the other thing that I was thinking about is like, this is why this thing, especially locally, it just seems like there's like no sense, like all this money going into really bad strategy, um, people picking, like there'll be outside money basically going into funds, really bad candidates. And part of it is that they're, they're putting, they're meddling in, in uh, a community and situations that they don't know. They're not here, but they're meddling in it. And, but also, the other thing I think is that they're putting their trust in their money, right? They think that uh, because they have more money that they must know the best thing to do or what's right. And that's a lot of times not true. But because they're putting in their trust in their money, um, they're easily fooled. You know, it's, it's, they become fools. It's, there's multiple verses that, that say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because they're not fearing God, they're putting their trust in their money, they become fools. And they are. And that's what you see. So, anyway, um, regarding opportunities, we have opportunities every day to stand up and come through the trials that, or challenges that God puts in front of us. We have opportunities every day to do something for um, beyond ourselves, right? To think about others first rather than our own self-interest. And um, we choose, we, we make that choice. And this is, um, I think a, another thing that causes a lot of hangups for people is that a lot of people have been in churches. I mean, sometimes people are just in churches for self-interest, right? So just because somebody is in a church doesn't mean that they care anything about, you know, what the Bible says or, you know, have the slightest desire to seek after Christ. Um, there's not a, uh, people aren't questioned about like what they know, like they are in Afghanistan. They, the Taliban will stop people and make them recite prayers. I mean, there's no, there's no test of, of, um, what people believe. And so people just take them at their word, but I think that, um, part of it is lack of sincerity, right? But the other part is that a lot of people are in churches that have taught, uh, I really try not to bash Calvinism, but quite frankly, I think it's doctrine from the pit of hell. And um, I have several videos on my YouTube channel uh, about five times, uh, mostly in areas uh, he, uh, in against heresies. He, a lot of things he says makes it very clear that the early church would have called Calvinists heretics. Um, I also have a couple of short clips on um, differences between like what Protestants and Catholics believe about like grace and salvation. And so I talk a little bit about this in there, but in Calvinism, if you just take it for 
where the distinctives lead. It creates, it, it really creates a passive faith. They believe that um, God decides in advance who will be saved and you're either in or you're out. And there's nothing that you do personally that ha makes any difference. And that is just not true. That doesn't line up with uh, the letters of the New Testament. It doesn't line up with that. All the warnings against falling away. It doesn't line up with the witness of the Old Testament where, you know, God's saying life and death is before you today. Choose life. We, we have free will and we can choose or not, you know, choose to agree with God and follow his will or not. And this is in Against Heresies. This is book four, chapter 15, verse two. This is showing uh, the um, King James Version actually mistranslates the many are called, but few are chosen. It should be, and this, this passage makes it very clear because Irenaeus was a Greek speaker. He quotes that verse. But he writes that many are called, but few, it says few chosen, but you see in the context of this is that few have chosen. And he says specifically that we, God has given us the right to self-government, that we have, we do have a um, free will, that we do get to choose. And it's only in that, it, it is only that we have free will that, that God would be just in judging us. If we didn't actually have free will, then he couldn't judge, right? He, there could, could be no condemnation of our choices and actions if we didn't have a choice to begin with. So we're always given a choice. And um, we have, you know, we always have opportunities for not only for um, entering into um, efforts or uh, taking a stand against things, but for building our own character. And... I don't know if they have this quote, but there's a quote by C.S. Lewis. And he talks about that, and every um, where he's like, every day we have a choice to become more of a heavenly creature or more of a hellish creature. We do have that choice, and I do think that in the the account, just because you have a big win at one point, it doesn't mean you stay there. You know, you always have to continue to make that those good choices and trust in God to lead you in the right path. But uh, unfortunately. Um, our Texas senators, they're going down a completely different path. And you'll see them post Bible verses all the time. But this is the thing. This is a Bible verse for them. It's Matthew 7, 21 through 23. This is Jesus talking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. What we do actually matters. Who is in heaven? Many will say to me, in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? I can guarantee you none of those Texas senators are doing this because they're probably going to churches that are cessationists. So they haven't even done that. So they have no business even having any thought that they're safe. Um, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. So that's the NIV. I worked, I looked that up. I have this app, it's super cool. You can only get it on Android. It's by Hagios Tech. It's the Hebrew, Greek, and Linear Bible. And it puts the um, English words just right on top of the Greek. So it's really easy to see, I think. Um, get a better sense of like, just as close as literal as you can get when you read it that way. What the Greek actually is in there is it's those working lawlessness. And 
if you talk, get in, go in charismatic circles, a lot of times they'll talk about, you know, um, spiritual strongholds in an area. Uh, there's um, some, if you look, read in the book of Daniel, it talks about uh, the prince of Persia that was opposing the, uh, actually it was Christ, it, it's the Lord that was coming to Daniel. He said, I, as soon as you start praying, I was, uh, I start, he started to come, but he was opposed by the prince of Persia. So this is this principality, the spiritual principality over, that was over the area. It's for 21 days. And I thought for a long time that the spiritual stronghold in the state of Texas is a spirit of lawlessness. Absolutely. And this, what just happened this last week in Texas is a perfect example of that, of that those who are working lawlessness when you are excusing the actions that Kim Paxton did, that verse is talking to you. As a verse is talking to you, you don't get to excuse evil and say you're on God's side. You just don't. So anyway, um, about opportunities, I'm going to wrap this up. But we have, I think I mentioned this last week, the crazy crazy things um they're actually issuing pa afghanistan um, passports at the embassy in pakistan it's more money than it was before but it's not nearly as much as uh you would have to pay and go back to afghanistan because nobody wants to go back there so anyway got a ton of messages from people in my group they're like hey can you help us uh we need money for passports for their kids and some adults don't have passports too so anyway the, one of the people said was um he wants to take not miss the opportunity because you never know with afghanistan pakistan what's going to happen next you just it's crazy things change all the time so we had a discussion about it on monday and i was telling them Okay, so let me know when you, oh, because they can't even just go in and apply anymore. They have to take a number for an appointment because people from all over Pakistan are now coming to Islamabad to get their, um, to apply for passports. And so they have to even take a number to get a name or to get an appointment. So I said, take it, you know, let me know when you go in and take your number. Uh, let me know like when you go in for your appointment and let me know when you get your passport so we can know like how long it should take and then if somebody starts getting the runaround then we will know how it's supposed how it's supposed to happen i told them to get the names if they start telling oh and that's the other thing there people are being told different things what they need to get the passports a lot of chaos and confusion i said when they tell you if they won't let you apply at that time write it down repeat it back to the person is this what you're understand is this what i need this is what i'm understanding you to say and then have them sign it and get a business card if you can i don't know if they have business cards in pakistan but with for the afghan Afghanistan embassy but just get somebody's name so we can um start nailing down like what actually is required so Anyway, that is their opportunity that they are doing their best to take advantage of. So if you would like to help them with that, um, the passports are $120. There are um, exchange fees to get it there. Um, so if you want to donate, you can go to donshireministries.org and select Race to Walk. But anyway, keep them all in your prayers. Um, 
what else has been happening? Oh, yeah, I'm just going to show this just because. Um, so the this is a this is a post where we're talking about the um, location of ISIS cells, and uh, I think that's a good thing to to just review. I, I hear people saying a lot of times that um, you know us pulling out like it's we're the ones that are the U.S. when I say we are the ones determining whether or not there's conflict right if we pull out then things just go away and that's really ignorant as well as arrogant um, if you don't understand the dynamics then you're really going to be sitting ducks because you are it's like people other people aren't in other countries aren't going to stop warring against you just be, because you decide you want to be done and if you don't understand the um, if you don't understand that then like people saying oh these are the forever wars you have to know you have to know the game that you're in and you have to know who the players are and this is oh where was it supposed by Scott Jensen um, who's saying people we make these poor and ignorant decisions and other people are bearing the cost and that's true and um, all we can hope, I think, is that we don't have another 9-11 because of our stupidity and just putting trust in the wrong people. Uh, the other thing was, uh, this is one other story I was going to share. This is an article on The Intercept, and two years later that there's all these people in lily pads, the Afghans in, on lily pads around the world that can't even get a response to their status. Now, these are people that are actually in these centers. At least they know that their application is going to be processed. It's just taking a while. People I'm working with, they don't even have that. I mean, at least in these in these areas, they they're actually don't have to worry about uh, being arrested or deported, and they have food, like the United you know, Arab Emirates. They can't go anywhere, but at least they know. But even those people aren't getting a response. And so, a few months ago, I mentioned that there was rumors of the Biden administration talking to the Philippines to be another lily pad. Why would anybody do that if we can't even get these applications processed? And there's no reason that we can't. We can do this. So anyway, um, just some things to keep in mind. If you hear stories coming out, uh, do not believe anything Zalmay Khalizad said. He is a uh, total um, Taliban apologist. So anything that comes out of his mouth is a bunch of baloney. And, uh, you know, if you hear somebody talking about open borders they're arrogant they're just absolutely ignorant if there actually is or open borders and ask them to contact me at contact at racewalk.org and tell me where they are because i have people i have people that need some help so anyway hope you have a great week um and uh i will see you next time